Again, I want to welcome you to our gathering today. And uh, as we get settled in, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it uh, to Hebrews 13. It's the last chapter in Hebrews. We, uh, over uh, the next two weeks, will be wrapping up our series through the book of Hebrews, uh, followed by uh, just kind of a one-off based on our core values of uh, commissioning every partner. And then we will dive into the book of Esther uh, that will lead us into the fall uh, but as we open to Hebrews 13 today, uh, we're going to look further uh, at the commands that the writer is giving following everything that, that, that we've seen the writer lay out regarding who Jesus is and what he's done. So really the author of Hebrews is over and over and over again in pushing and pressing back against this temptation to uh, apostatize and turn back to the former tenets of Judaism is really, uh, as I believe all Scripture does, is just proclaiming the gospel over and over and over again, right? Like, look to Jesus. He is what all of this is centered upon. And so we are getting this gospel message, which is better news. Uh, but what we see is in light of what Je- who Jesus is and what He's done, is that Jesus not only gives us life and hope in the midst of every season... Which again, this people group, they are uh, facing persecution and pressure. Some are even being thrown into jail and having their possessions taken from them. But in Christ we have hope. But also, what we've seen in this letter, and I believe what we see all throughout the story of redemption, is that because Jesus gives us life, it also causes us To then live in and from an entirely different kingdom and perspective. And so as we dive in, I want, I want to begin by just reminding everyone of, of where Jeremy went last week regarding this chapter, because I think what we see in Hebrews 13 is just this building out further of what we saw last week and how we'll kind of close out the letter. So what we saw is that Hebrews 13 is really a turn from the indicatives or the truth about how Jesus is greater, right? That's where we began this letter in, in kind of section one. We saw that Jesus is the greater Moses, that, that he is greater than the high priest. He's greater than the angels, right? And then we moved into the reality that because of his greatness in that he is greater, that gives us confidence, right? We have confidence in Christ. And the main reason we have confidence, which is part three, is because Jesus is our great high priest. He uh, is the mediator between God and man and man to God. So now we see these imperatives of how our lives are to look in response to the truths of who Jesus is. Remember, uh, imperatives, what they are essentially are just commands. By by definition, an imperative is some essential or urgent thing that is not to be avoided or evaded. What this means for us and what I think the writer is arguing in this chapter is that these things are not to be optional for the follower of Christ. As if Christianity is some sort of buffet where you just kind of pick and choose what commands to obey and not to obey. Rather, these imperatives... These things that we see in 13 that are built on what came previously are actually to be marks of fellowship with Christ and how that fellowship leads disciples to obedience in all of life. 
Jeremy said it well, speaking of these imperatives last week, when he said that our love for Jesus motivates our obedience to Jesus. Our love for Jesus motivates our obedience to Jesus. Another way to see that is that our being, who we are as Christ followers, which is rooted in Christ, He is the one that He says that He gives us a new identity. The old is gone, the new has come. We were once dead, now we are made alive, we are orphans and are now adopted into the kingdom of God. So our being, who we are, not how we perform or how we posture or how good we are at this or that, but essentially just what Jesus has done tells us who we are. By grace and the empowerment of the Spirit then produces the doing or the fruit of righteousness that we found in Hebrews 12.11. You see, our our being then influences our doing, not the other way around. And if you get that mixed up, you're headed in the wrong direction. We saw this last week in five ways through the text. First, the first imperative is that we are to have continued care for and about the local church. We are to be a people that sacrifice for one another. Ready to step in, ready to support, ready to care for at a moment's notice. As a way to proclaim this good news to the world around us that we have been brought into the family of God and we are to call others into this very family. Next, we are to use hospitality as a means to proclaim the good news. We are to open up our homes and our lives for the sake of others. The third way we saw it is we had to have care and concern for the persecuted church, both through prayer and support. And then we are to honor the covenant of biblical marriage and even honoring uh, this call for some to singleness by fleeing from sexual immorality and adultery. You see, in our lives, we proclaim the gospel through both our marriage and our singleness. And I want to press there a little bit because when we talk about proclaiming the gospel to our marriages or our singleness, guess what? We do it both in the ease of it and the difficulty of it. So often when we talk about those things and how we share with others, we only talk about the good stuff, right? When it's easy, and usually when I say easy, it's when my spouse is doing what I want them to do, right? But no, we, even, we, we as God's people, we're freed up to talk about it even when it's hard. Not, not so that we can just talk about the hardness of it, but and we say this all the time, right? Like, it's okay not to be okay. We just don't want you to stay there. So even in the hardness of all these things, what we do is we say, hey, this is where I'm at and this is difficult, but this is, and this is my prayer and this is where I need accountability and this is where I need help and discipleship and theological clarity or whatever it is. Because we want to see transformation. And then lastly, we saw that we value Jesus over money and possessions. You see, when you have an understanding of generosity in light of the gospel, giving moves from begrudging and stagnant to sacrificial generosity. And today, as we continue through these imperatives, we're going to see a few more ways of intentional living that, again, are essential or urgent things that are not to be avoided or evaded as followers of Christ. And we're going to begin with this call to remember, consider, and imitate those who have come before us. 
So let's begin by reading verses 7 and 8 of chapter 13. It says this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Okay, so as a parent, uh, I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of a lot of things. One, that uh, I'm just getting crazier and crazy uh, uh, all the time. But one of the things I'm realizing more and more often as my kids grow up is that they are always watching. And not only are they always watching, they're imitating. Good or bad, they're imitating what they see. And, and honestly, that, that is humbling, terrifying, convicting, and, and in ways encouraging, uh, kind of all at the same time. Like there are moments when I see my children and I, the way they respond and they act, and I'm like, oh man, I love what God is doing in your heart right there, and I want to foster that, and, and I want to uh, encourage that, Right? Like one of my kids, uh, like every time uh, we, we hear of someone that's experienced loss and they just, they, their heart just breaks because they have just a soft heart and such a great care uh, for the hearts of others. I mean, we want to foster that. And so in those moments we do, we say, man, I'm so thankful that your heart breaks for the pain of others. But guess what? There's a lot of other moments, some of which it's just their own sin that they don't have to be taught. Uh, but other moments where I look at them and I see the way that they're imitating and, and how they speak and treat and, and deal with one another. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that's me. And I look at it and I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't want you to do I, I don't do that. But what I realize is that, man, a lot of it, it's, it's just it's the way I'm responding. And they see it and they imitate it. You see, the other thing that I've noticed, particularly in my sons, some in, in my daughter, uh, but n- not, as, not as specific as my sons, they, uh, they want to imitate and act like those that they watch on television and every sports figure that they care about. And so in our home, like we are dude perfect people, right? Anybody else? Like everything, is, like they don't call it trick shots in our, we just call it I'm dude perfecting right now. Right? Like, so it's like, hey, go clean up your room. And they're throwing clothes in the back. And they're like, dude, perfect. Look, look, dad. Like, uh, I could have put that on video, dad. Like, uh, you gotta, you need to always be watching. And, and, you know, if they, if they could throw like their, their dog into a basketball goal, like they would if I would let them because to them, they want to imitate and, and they want to model that because they love it. If it's not that, they're, uh, my sons are running around saying, hey, I'm Luca. Or I'm Jordan or because I teach my kids about like the old school basketball players. So it's like, you know, my son's like, I'm Shaq. I'm like, well, bro, you're this tall. You're not. Or, you know, man, you know, I'm Giannis or I man, And they 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 get into it. We watch football on TV and man, they immediately just change into their uniforms and they stand in front of them and they, they, they try to act it out. They want to be like those that they see. And so as a child, who were the people you imitated? Well, what, what celebrities or sports figures, just think for a moment that who did you want to imitate and be like? 
I mean, if you're in my age range, like, man, we all wanted to be like Mike, right? Like that commercial impacted me in such a way that, man, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. And I would spend hours upon hours saying, man, I want to be like Mike. Never going to be like Mike, okay? Not going to happen. But you see, if we're honest, we've all been impacted and changed by others. And in turn, we tend to, for better or worse, imitate and act like those we place ourselves around or allow ourselves to be influenced by. Which again, I believe can be a very scary thing because there are far too many people inside the church that are being influenced by people that have no heart for Christ at all. Guess what? You're always being discipled by something or someone. Even if you're not aware of it, it's happening. And so I think a question we should constantly ask ourselves is while maybe we can uh, uh, glean things from others, we need to make sure, man, are those that we're gleaning from and seeking to imitate, do they really love Jesus? Or do they just love their platform or their influence? This leads me to the argument that the writer makes at the beginning of this text, which is that as God's people who were at times faced with the temptation to leave the faith. We know the faith that has impacted and transformed our lives and instead imitate the world around us for the sake of comfort and ease. We must reject the notion. We must reject that and rather look once again to those in the faith that have come before us. That have impacted our lives by their living and in turn we're to imitate The faith that we see in them. Not a perfect faith. But a faith that that, that is grace driven. And that's after Jesus. And so in verse 7 we get three action steps regarding those who came before. The first of which is that we're simply to remember. Remember. I believe that one of the greatest things that we, that we can do that we often don't do in the church is recall and talk about the impactful leaders that God has placed in our lives. Those who spoke, as the text says, not simply earthly wisdom, but the very word of God to us. Again, I say this is something I think that we should do, but oftentimes, I think if we're honest, we don't take the time to remember and recall those people. So why don't we? Well, as I thought about it, I believe one of the reasons is that we are often too concerned with self to take time to remember others. You see, this leads us to view people through the lens of what uh, they can give me now or what have they given me lately. And if they haven't produced, we just move on and we stop remembering them. We just exchange them for the next person. You see, I believe that's detrimental to our lives. And I also believe that that's out of character with the story of redemption. Because guess what? If you read through the scriptures while finding their apex in the person and work of Jesus, they are filled. The the Bible is filled with countless stories of men and women of faith that we are called to remember. So in your life today, who are the men and women of faith that you can remember that made an impact on who you are as a follower of Jesus today? I told you to think about the sports figures and celebrities, but I I would like, man, for you, just, you don't have to tell me their story, but just throw out their name. 
Who's a man or woman that impacted your life of faith? This is where y'all go. Anybody else? Mm. Mm. Glory. See, we all probably have them. Whether you said it or not, someone probably popped in your head. And some of those, you might have known the names people said, but others, you're like, you have no clue who they are, but you can see how they've impacted the life of the person that said it. You see, for me, I I reflected on this, and I I just wrote down a few. The first uh, is Brother Jerry Smith, pastor of First Baptist in Clifton, Texas. For my earliest memories as a child in church, which... It, it, it was later in life than when my mom started sending me to church because she needed a place for me to go get energy out. Uh, Jerry was always there. And he was there and he faithfully served up until about two years ago. Um, but man, Jerry impacted my life. He baptized me. He always encouraged me. Uh, when, I, when it took me nine years to finish undergrad, he was probably the most excited out of anyone in the world. He impacted my life. Stephen Payne, my student pastor growing up, the first guy that ever really intentionally discipled me named Jake Cofield, whom I met with for about three or four months until he got married and said, bro, I can't meet with you anymore. I got a, I'm, I'm, this marriage thing's different. Uh, and, and so, but he impacted my life. My childhood best friend, Brandon Weir. Troy Glasgow. And those are just people I know. There's Matt Chandler. One of my favorite authors that's impacted my life probably more than any other author, Eugene Peterson. You see, what I love is that as we remember that the text, it tells it says, don't stop there. We're not simply to remember these people. We're also to stop and consider the outcome of their way of life. I believe that happens in two ways. One, we look at their life now, if they're living, and we say, okay, man, where do we see the fruit of righteousness in their lives? And man, we, uh, we, can, we look at that and we consider that. But also, man, if they're gone, we say, look at the outcome of their lives. Man, they ran the race faithfully. And man, now they're in glory. And so as we remember those who have come before us, whether living or passed away, our remembering is to deepen by considering, which I believe considering to be to think carefully about or to engage their lives so that you might see how their faith has influenced their living. You see, what I believe the writer is pushing here is the need to not simply watch how others live, but to engage them, to ask questions. To seek discipleship in ways that show honor to those who impacted your life, but also form and shape your own growth as a Christ follower. And so for those who have impacted your life, have you ever sit down with them and ask them questions about the hows and whys of their faith? Do you know their stories? For those who have passed away, have you asked others that knew knew them about their faith. Have you considered their lives? 
So as I, I prepared, I set out to do this and I called Jerry Smith. And I had a simple question that in my mind, that I was foolish, I thought would take about five minutes to answer. So I called Jerry and he answered and I said, Jerry, I, I want to ask you this question. Who impacted your life? Who impacted your calling as a pastor? And how did you see God affirm this? And one hour later, literally, I took a screenshot of my phone. One hour and three minutes later, I finally got off the phone. You ever have those conversations that you get into and then you get out of it and you're like, I don't know if my question was answered. But he, I got about a minute and a half in. And the rest of the time, he just talked. And he told story after story after story. And I began to wonder, man, how does this connect to even any of the answer my question? And then I began to, to pick out theme. A, a simple theme throughout it all. You see, what Jerry told me was that throughout his entire life, over and over and over again, he had experienced the faithfulness of God in story after story after story. And so he would tell me about when he went to college or when he got held at gunpoint 14 times or, you know, whenever, you know, someone tried to rob him or, you know, he went and did prison ministry and he met a kid that had stolen a horse that was his horse. And I'm like, where does this all connect? And he's going and he kept saying the same thing over again. Kyle, when that happened, who do you think did that? Who, who do you think uh, brought that about? Who, who, how do you think that that came about? And he kept repeating over God, Kyle, it was God's faithfulness. To me, over and over and over again. And so while it was all over the place, when considered in that light, it was a beautiful picture of a life of lived faith. You see, this church is a practice that I believe we would do well to grow in. That that we might remember those that came before us. That we might consider the outcome of their life. But also that we wouldn't forget the last call in this verse is where we see that we are to imitate their faith. You see, it is a waste to know a lot and yet live out little of what you know. And the same holds true for our remembrance and consideration of those who came before us. Because if you were to ask them what to do with what we know, I believe that the common response would be live a life of active and intentional faith. Don't. Third time his name's come up, as John Piper says, don't waste your life. Remember, consider, and then live out faith. Imitate the faith that you see. Like what better way to honor those who have impacted your life for the sake of the kingdom than to live your life for the sake of the kingdom? Which begs the question, in your own life, are you living a life for the glory of God and for His kingdom that is worth remembering, that, 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 that is worth considering, and that is worth imitating. Are you living that kind of life? Following this call to remember, consider, and imitate others, the writer once again points us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the ultimate model that we are to remember, consider, and seek to imitate by reminding us that whether those whom we remember are here today or have already passed away, guess what? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Meaning that no matter what comes our way, we can look to Him because He is ever faithful and He is the focus and direction of all our hope Joy and peace. 
And it's this call to faith in Jesus as our hope that leads to our next imperative, which is that we are to be a people that constantly run to Jesus. And so let's read now verses 9 through 14. It says this. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Alright, so I want you to remember the context of the entire letter. A group of Jewish Christians are being pressured and tempted to leave the hope of Christ that they know to be true for what they believe to be the ease and the former comforts of Judaism and all that comes with it. And so what the writer tells, once again, those he's writing to, is that in light of your remembrance, consideration, and imitation of Jesus and those impactful people of faith that came before you, the writer says, don't be carried away by strange teachings. Instead, you were to have hearts strengthened by grace. This term for strange teaching is, is anything that is anti-gospel, that is works-based and law-focused. The means of being made right before God that it even includes specifically the food laws of Judaism. See, what the writer argues is that the ceremonial food laws of Judaism are of no benefit to those who practice them. Because in doing so, they miss the heart of the gospel. Really what he's saying, the writer's saying is, hey, food can't save you. For our hearts are ultimately strengthened not by food, but by grace. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not only that, but we have to remember that Jesus himself proclaimed, I am the bread of life. That cures our deeper hunger and need that food laws cannot cure. The writer further develops this point in what follows where we see that all those who follow the laws and practices of Judaism do not experience the life of Christ. Because what they do is they forsake the cross, which is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the source of our life and spiritual nourishment. For while the priests of old made the sacrifice upon the altar... And the blood was taken into the Holy of Holies. The carcasses were taken outside the camp and they were burned up and could not be consumed. But you see, Jesus was a totally different type of sacrifice to God. Jesus was not sacrificed in the temple, but outside the walls of Jerusalem. I believe that's key for two reasons. First, Christ's sacrifice outside the walls means that only those who forsake their commitment to making themselves right through temple sacrifice could benefit from what Jesus had done. Salvation is not found in the temple, Jesus says. But second, and a point I find to be absolutely amazing, is because Jesus was sacrificed outside the camp, He made Himself accessible to anyone in the world. In the words of R. Kent Hughes, Jesus planted his cross in the world so all the world could have access. And there he remains permanently available. That's good news. 
Therefore, don't look to religious means of sacrifice and performance in the hopes that you might be made right before God. Don't turn to the temple. Instead, run to Jesus over and over and over again and go out and tell others about him who is the same yesterday, today and forever and remains outside the camp and available to all who come to him. You see, our call, our vision and mission statement is that at Center Church, we, we seek to, we want to invite people to Jesus and call believers to live out the gospel. We want to invite people to Jesus and call believers to live out the gospel, right? And I think what we see here is, is in our lives, they are to be marked by us saying, hey, quit going to those things, right? Quit, quit looking to that stuff. It, it won't save you. Look to Jesus. He's here. And so what I want to say is this, like invite people to church, but don't invite people to church. Invite people to church and then take them to Jesus. Invite people to a Bible study, but don't just invite them to the Bible so they can take them to Jesus in the scriptures. Invite people into your homes, but don't just invite them into your homes. Take them to Jesus. And guess what? Do this even if it costs. It says we are to go to Jesus who, who went outside the camp. And we, even if we have to suffer the reproach, that's what we should do. Turn to Jesus even if it costs. Because guess what? He is worth it. And the reason he, he's worth it because we have eternity in view. So we have nothing to lose. You see, that is good news that transforms lives. You see, it transforms lives in such a way that we actually live differently. And so let's close now with 15 and 16 where we find two more imperatives that we're to live by as followers of Jesus. It says this, Through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Okay, so in light of what Jesus has done as our ultimate sacrifice for sin, the writer shares that we're to do two things. First, we are to continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise with our lips. Literally what this means is that we are to be a people who verbally praise Him with our lips. Therefore, we worship Him through song. Like actually singing out. Don't care how well you sing or how well you think you sing or how well you people said you don't sing. Who cares? Sing out to Jesus. We pray out loud. We testify to what He has done with words. We cry out in, in, in biblical lament. We rejoice with words in, in the good and the bad. We share with one another. You see, like we tell young children, use your words. Use your words. You see, the gospel is news to be shared verbally. And then, we are not to forget to do good and share with others. You see, as followers of Jesus, our response to the sacrifice of Christ is to give of ourselves to others freely, willingly, and sacrificially. You see, in our words of praise unto God, 
We are all to live out our words and action by living with an outward posture of sacrifice for the sake of others. Our worship is to be both word and deed because the gospel of the kingdom came in Christ both in word and deed. He is the word that put on flesh and accomplished what we could not. We are now his people who in turn are to proclaim his name to the world by what we say, but also by what we do. You see, this kind of intentional living is a radically different way to live than the world around us. And it is the means by which we make Jesus known as the church. Our words and our deeds. Remembering, considering, imitating, running to Jesus and pointing other people to Jesus, inviting them to Jesus. Not the next, not the next fad, not the next bit of wisdom that, uh, you know, whatever influencer tells you about. But no, like, let's get to Jesus. He's the only one that can save. And so I want to call you to three ways to respond today. First, I want to I want to invite you, encourage you to remember. Maybe as you leave today, spend some time this afternoon or this evening and just make a list of the people that have impacted your life of faith. And as you make that list, consider Consider the way of their life. What do you see that, that was so impactful? How did they uh, care for you and encourage you and disciple you in those ways? But I also encourage like engage with them. Ask them questions about their lives. And don't wait. Maybe write them a letter and just say, hey, I just want to say thanks. This is, these are the ways you impacted my life of faith. The way that you lived in these specific ways. And I'm better for it. Thank you. And then I want to invite you or encourage you to imitate it. Live out what you remember and consider and make an impact in the lives of others. Are you living a life that is worth remembering, considering, and imitating? Secondly, I want you to run to Jesus. Don't turn elsewhere. Nothing else will nourish your soul. And in light with that, go out and call people to the Savior who died both for Jew and Gentile. And then lastly, I want to invite you, and we're about to walk in this. It will be an exercise in obedience in just a moment. And we will offer up praise through song. Offer up praise and word and deed to God and before others so that the whole world might hear and see how the gospel brings life and changes the way we live. Hebrews has been a really tricky book. Jeremy and I have said over and over and over again, we feel like we're bending over backwards and contorting this way and contorting it just because we're in the Old Testament and back in Hebrews and then preaching the gospel and then here, there, and everywhere. And yet you get to the end of it and the writer just gets really simple and practical. And he says, this is how this impacts your life. Do these things in light of who Jesus is. And so I'm going to invite the team to come back up. We're going to do two things. First, I want to invite you to share in communion. If you're a follower of Jesus in good standing with your church, then we're going to invite you to come and share in the table. 
But, but as you share today, I want you to remember Christ. I want you to remember what Jesus has done. I want you to consider His life and what it brought about. Not just for you, but the entire cosmos. Like He is making all things new. I want you to go and, and as you do this in remembrance of Him, go and live in remembrance of Jesus. So myself, and I'm going to have Josh Strong come up here as well, and we'll present you with the elements. If you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're hearing this today for the first time and you're wrestling with it, uh, man, we would ask that you not come and partake, not for the sake of us casting you aside, but for us saying, hey, man, this, this is costly, and we want you to know what you're doing. And, and all, but more than that, we want you to know that you have new life in Christ before you partake in it. So if that's you, you can come to talk to myself or Jeremy or one of our other partners if you know them, and they would love to share the good news of the gospel with you. And then after we've, you've come up and received the elements, I'll walk us through uh, taking the elements together and then we will worship and sing. We will cry out, Great are you, Lord. And so let me pray and then y'all can move. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that ultimately we remember you. That as we consider your life, death, and resurrection, it is a life that is worthy of praise and honor and glory. It's the only one. Lord, for every person in this room that has come to know You, God, You, through Your Son, have made the biggest impact, an eternal impact on our lives. And for those in this room that maybe they don't know You, Lord, I pray that You would make that eternal impact on our lives and they would come to know You. But God, also, may we remember those in our lives that have impacted our lives of faith. And may we consider their lives. And and may we uh, imitate what we see for your glory. Not for theirs and not for our own. God, we thank you that we went outside the camp. that, That the cross was outside the camp so that all could come to you. So may we run to you, but also may we invite others to you. And then may we sing, may we proclaim the good news of the gospel in word and deed. In Jesus' name.